right, praise God. Heard a theologian one time asking, he said, if someone accused you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we look into the book of 1 John. So be finding in your Bible the book of 1 John, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 1, verse 5. And we're going to talk about five tests of faith. There were many false teachers and heretics that invaded the church in John's day, and they were misleading people. And they were telling people that, that they needed this deeper, higher knowledge that would bring them into a right relationship with God. It was spiritualism. And these people were called Gnostics. And uh, you may have heard of them before. But this is why John takes the occasion to first preach the sermon that is the book of 1 John and then have it written, transcribed for the people to be able to confront the idea that you must obtain some higher spiritual knowledge in order to be saved. Instead, John wanted us to understand that we are saved just one way through faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus. That's how we're saved. And that's the knowledge that we need. That's what we need to understand. That's what we need to know. And so here's the biblical truth that I want you to understand this morning. John teaches us that the indelible mark of true saving faith is a changed life. A life of faith in Jesus. That's really, that's really how you can know that you're a Christian. Now there's many people uh, today that, that wonder... And you may be among them this morning, but people that are wondering whether they're saved or not, and you've got questions in your mind, and, and you're wondering whether or not Jesus really, really loves you, whether He's really saved you. And John wants us to settle the matter once and for all. Why is it so important that you know that you're a Christian, that you're saved? Why is that so important that you, that you know that? Well, I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers talking about it one day. He said a lot of Christians today are just kind of, they're, they're bent over, hunched over. They got so many questions, they look like a question mark. And they wonder if God really loves them, if they're really saved, or if God really has the power to do this or that, or God really cares, and all those questions. And, and they just seem miserable. But instead, God wants to straighten that out. And He wants you to understand. And He doesn't want your life to look like a question mark. He wants you to be an exclamation point for His kingdom. Because here's the thing. If you don't know that you're truly saved and what, what Jesus has done for you has truly changed your life, you can't help anyone else come to the Savior. Amen? So He wants you to know that you're saved so that you can help others to be saved. And the changed life is the evidence of your salvation. So let's read together. We're just going to read the first paragraph. We're going to look at more than that, but we'll look at the first couple of chapters here. But go ahead and stand with me if you're able. And we will read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5, and we'll finish at verse 10, and then we'll pray together, okay? So if you've got God's Word open, follow along with me in your copy. This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. The message that Jesus gave and now is being proclaimed through the apostles that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie 
and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, that's a, that's a verse that you need to put in your heart. You need to commit to memory. If you learn a Bible verse, that's a good one for you to learn. And in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for Your Word today, and we ask now that You would add insight and understanding to the reading of Your Word. And Lord, that to that insight, to what we understand, Lord, that we would add obedience. Lord, that we would be faithful to do all that You call us to do. Let us examine ourselves this morning, Lord. and See if we are found in the faith. And Lord, if there's one today has any question in their mind and in their heart, whether they know Jesus and Jesus knows them, I pray that today, Lord, that they would come by faith, receive Christ, and be saved. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John breaks down what true saving faith looks like in the opening chapters of 1 John. He gives us five tests so that we can evaluate the evidence of true and saving faith. And John's goal is that we would know and we would mark it down once and for all. I know that I know Jesus. The word know occurs 37 times in the book of 1 John. Somebody say, wow. Wow, because it's all, I mean, when you think about it, it's only just a few chapters long, right? This is, this is the book of 1 John. 37 times the word know occurs. He wants us to know that we're saved. He wants us to know that we're in the faith. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. Now, do you know that? That's the ultimate question this morning. If you have any other, any other thought or any doubt in your mind, we want to clear that up today. We want you to be sure. We want you to know. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, examine yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith. In other words, take the test. How many of you like tests? Amen. I didn't see a hand. Oh, wait. Oh, I saw one. Two. I hate tests. When you start talking about a test, I start getting sweaty. I remember taking the ACTs. And just the only thing I could do was sit and look at the clock. Because it was ticking away. And I knew I only had a certain amount of time. And I just have test anxiety. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. They say it is. And he says, test yourselves. Wow. Well, that's what John is providing. Now, we look at these five tests that he's going to give us at the beginning of the book, and we realize, we recognize that these are emblematic of all of the tests that we should take on a daily basis as a Christian, but he really boils them down to just a few things, then he fleshes them out the rest of the book. So if we look at these five, we can see if we measure up and Paul says, or you do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? He's saying, look, if you take the test, you should be able to pass the test and know without a doubt that Jesus is in you. Amen. And I, I want you to know that Jesus is in you. I don't want you to have a doubt about that. And then he says, he goes on to say, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. He said, you can take the test and you can fail the test. 
And now here's the thing. If we take this test this morning, these five questions on this test, or these five different tests really is truly what they are. If we take it, and there's a doubt, and it seems like I'm failing this test right now, then get it right today. Come by faith. And we will invite you to do that at the end of this message. And so, how do you measure up? Well, let's lay some ground rules before we get into the text real quick. First, the answers are between you and the Lord. So be honest. This isn't about you and someone else. This is between you and the Lord. When you read the book of 1 John, this is between you and the Lord. So make it personal. Okay. Now later he's going to talk about how we test the spirits. The, the, the people that are preaching into your lives and all those things, he's going to give us ways to do that. So then that becomes you examining what someone else says. But that, that, first, that first one is to be honest. Caleb, that's on that. Yeah, there we go. The second one is don't judge. Because listen, here's the truth. You cannot know whether another individual is truly saved. You can't know that. Now you can look at their fruit and you can say, well, that's not consistent with a relationship with Christ. But this is not for you to take this test and go, wait, I'm going to look at that other person's life now through the lens of 1 John and see if they're truly a Christian. Oh, that one is. Oh, that one's not. That's not why John is writing. John is writing so that you will know whether you are in the faith. Amen? It's not so you can go and bash someone else over the head. Well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that, so you must not be a Christian. You know, I've heard people say that. But that's not for you to judge. That's for the Lord Almighty. And then the third thing is don't take credit. <laughs> don't take credit. If you pass the test, you don't take credit for that. Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And he goes on to say that not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't boast about it. Don't take credit if you pass the test. All credit and glory belongs to God. This is simply the evidence that Jesus has worked on your life. And you have a changed life as a result. Okay? So let's get into the Word. We just read chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And in this paragraph, what John is pointing out is first, evidence of saving faith is contrast with the world around you. There ought to be some contrast. And I first learned what contrast was on one of those old television sets, you know, that had uh, the, the two different... Um, frequencies, and you, you, you get the knob in your hand, you have a remote, you got the knob, and you go to find the channel, right? And then down at the bottom, there's a couple more knobs. There's one that said brightness over there, and then there's another one that said what? Contrast. Contrast. And you can mess with that and make everybody look really weird, make them look pale, and they go all the way back to the other side. Well, that contrast is the, is the difference between light and dark. And that's what John points out. And light in the Bible, light in the Scripture represents the holiness of God and all things righteous. And, and the goodness of God and the darkness in the Bible represents sin and evil and wickedness. Revelation talks about how in the presence of God there's this radiation of light. And how He dwells in unapproachable light, the psalmist says. There won't be a sun in heaven we won't need it, the Bible says. 
Because God emanates light from Himself. And so as He's emanated light, we too should reflect His character, His holiness, and all that. Jesus said, you shall be holy as I am holy. You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so John says, if we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Paul talks about all of the works of the flesh and the works of the devil. And he says, in these things you once walked. And now you walk differently. Amen. If you're in Christ. So here's a good question for you. This is the test of the faith. I'm going to put the, the, uh, the green slide up there for a second. There is a notable, noticeable difference in my life since coming to know Christ. Is that true of you? I'm growing in my walk with God every day. I study His Word to know more about God so that I can live a better life for Him. So if you think about this for a second, Paul is saying that we should examine ourselves. We need to look at this. We need to look at these questions and say, is this true of me? Am I different now than I used to be? If you say, well, I grew up, I, I grew up in the church and I, I've just been growing my whole life and it was kind of, kind of something that evolved and and then I realized, came to the realization that I needed a Savior and I was saved and really didn't live a bad life, a horrible life. I didn't, I didn't do drugs and I didn't murder people and whatever else any of these other people did out there. I lived a pretty good life, you know, as far as that goes. Well, here's the thing. This is the question that you should ask. Do you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? If that's true, we're going to look at that one in just a minute. If you recognize that, then you realize the person that you could have been. If you were left to your own devices. And are you different than that person? <laughs> That's what it really amounts to. Okay? Is there contrast between me and the world around me? Is there contrast in a sinful life and in the life that I am attempting to live? Is there some contrast in that? Now none of these, none of these tests are the end all be all. For Christianity. These are simply tests to see if you are in the faith. And so Paul tells us not to continue to walk in the darkness. And here John says if we walk in the darkness. While we say we have fellowship with God. If we, have, if we say we have fellowship with God. That if part. That's the part where you say well I am a Christian. And you say I do pass that test. But then if you look at your life and it, it doesn't look that way. You've got a problem. There needs to be some contrast. And so the first test, contrast with the world around you. I wonder if that's true of you. The second test, and I say we're going to talk about this, confession of sin. Now look again with me in the word it says, in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin. You know, I've heard people say that they have reached a point where they don't sin anymore. And I just said, uh, hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what the Bible says about that? I mean, and some people think you've got to be good enough to be a Christian. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Listen to what the Word says in Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. 
There's none who does good. Wait, wait, wait. We went from they to none. I mean, they, you know, they do bad things. Now it's no one does good things. Oh, well, that puts me in that category, doesn't it? God looks down from heaven on the children of man, who is a child of man. So far, every human being on the planet is a product of a man and a woman. Right? I'll let you know when that changes. But that's God's design. God looks down on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And what does He find? They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so God had to inhabit flesh. And He took the burden of our sin. And so, what, what does John mean? John means this test, it, it, see if you're doing this. And it's a, it's a present tense verb here, meaning an ongoing confession of sin. That means you keep a, a short list of the sin. You don't say, well, I'm going to confess at the end of the week. Or I'm going to lay down at night and I'm going to confess. What does it say? Continual confessing. So you can, when you realize that you've sinned, what do you do? You stop right then, you recognize the sin, and then you confess it to God. Why? Because you know that that's not of your heavenly Father. And there's supposed to be some contrast between you and the world. And so you confess your sin. Have you ever confessed your sin? Now I heard of a, a very, very prominent figure, I won't say who, that, that stood up in front of everyone and said, no, I've never confessed my sin. But I'm a Christian. But I've never confessed my sin. And I want to tell you something. If you've never come to God and said to God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. If you've never said that to God, you are not a Christian. You may, may have gone to church. You may have been baptized. But if you've never confessed to God that you're a sinner and you need Him to save you, you're not a Christian. Because if you don't admit that you're a Christian, you don't need the cross. Sorry. If you don't admit... That came out wrong, didn't it? If you, if you don't admit that you're a sinner, then you don't need the cross. David said this in Psalm 32. He said, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Then he speaks personally about himself, and he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, what happens whenever you practice forgiveness is you receive the cleansing of God. So you recognize your sin and then you receive the cleansing of God. So when you sin, does it bother you? Or do you even recognize it when you sin? Do you even know that you've missed the mark? And you need a Savior? Let's put up the next question, set of questions. I know what sin is and that I have sinned. I feel terrible when I sin. I wonder if that's true of you. 
See, if you can sin, you can do what God says not to do, and it doesn't bother you, you swept it under the rug, I would, I would call into question your salvation. I would say, well, hold on now. But if you feel terrible, listen, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that is evidence of true and saving faith. You see, He chastises the one He loves. He's going to get on to you whenever you sin, because He's your Heavenly Father, and that's what good fathers do. Amen. I confess my sin on a regular basis and ask for forgiveness. Hey, is that true of you? Do you do that? Do you receive that cleansing of God on a regular basis? I know Jesus is the only way my sins are forgiven. Do you know that that's true? Somebody say, I know Jesus is the only way my sins are forgiven. And listen, and forgiven means that, hey, there, He has forgiven it. It's done. It's over. It's settled. Right there on the cross, Jesus forgave our sins past, present, and future. There's nothing else that I have to do to earn my salvation, but bring it to Jesus. But that's what He wants us to do. And that's evidence of true and saving faith. So how are you looking on the test so far? Here's the third test. Christ-likeness. Look at verses uh, 3 through 6 of uh, the next chapter. He says, And by this we know, notice the words we know, that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a, what? Liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You know, when we tell people, and, I, and sometimes you, you may have been guilty of this, of this as a parent, and sometimes I've felt this way, I've tried not to say it, but... Do as I say, not as I do. Now, oftentimes as we give instructions and we say, look, I, I fail at this, but this is what we ought to do. But look about, what about Jesus, though? Jesus not only could say, do as I say, but do as I do. And He's the only one. He's the perfect example. And He came to live that life for us. So keeping His commandments is the do as I say. Following the things that Jesus said. Keeping His Word. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you hear the words that He says and you do them, you will be like a man or a woman who builds your house upon the rock. And the wind and the waves will come and beat against the house, but the house will stand. And so that's the keeping His Word. What He said. His instructions. Do what he says. And then he goes on, John goes on to say, in verse 6, that we ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Jesus walk? Living the same way he did. And that's the do as I do part. Now we've got this, this little slogan that we say, and some of you might have it on your bracelet. And I, I agree with the bracelet. WWJD, right? It sounds, it sounds like the call signs to a radio station, right? WWJD. Well, I got another one. WDJD. That's even better sounding, isn't it? What did Jesus do? And we, the WWJD can be answered just simply by looking at the Scripture and reading about Jesus. And what did He do? What life did He live? How did He live? How did He walk? Well... Jesus lived a life of meekness and humility. Right? Jesus said, come to me. 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and learn from me. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am meek and gentle in heart. Meekness and humility. Compassion and grace. The Bible says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And everything that he did, every time he reached out his hand, every time he spoke to a person, he always spoke with compassion and grace for those people. And even on the cross, as he stretched his arms out for you and me, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Obedience and submission in the garden, he prayed. Not my will, but thy will be done. He submitted in everything, every aspect, everything under the law. He kept it perfectly. He said, I have come to do thy will. That's what he said. He was obedient to the Lord. Suffering and sacrifice, and sometimes we neglect this when we think about how Jesus walked. Sometimes being a Christian means suffering. Hey, that's what you heard about last week whenever Brother Greg was here preaching. He didn't do a great job. I went and listened to his message. He did a great job, didn't he? Amen. He's out preaching again somewhere else today, so y'all pray for him. But being a Christian means suffering. And you say, well, they did this or they did that to me. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sometimes we're going to suffer as Christians. We're going to, we might suffer physical harm. We might suffer emotional harm from others. Verbal abuse. They may call you a fanatic. But what does it compare to what they did to Jesus? Sacrifice. Giving up what I want for what someone else needs. That's what sacrifice is. I love what was said um, by Ron Pouliot yesterday, uh, Friday. He said family stands for... And he was quoting somebody from some football team. I, it's just some football team. He said family stands for forget about me. I love you. Sacrifice. I love that. Isn't that great? I'm going to use that one forever. Forget about me. I love you. And you're part of the family of faith here. And Christ-likeness means you may sacrifice. You need to sacrifice. And, and Paul tells the men in Ephesus, which applies to all of us men here, that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Christ-likeness. So throw up the questions there, Brother Caleb. I believe Jesus lived a sinless life and modeled the life I should live. Hey, do you believe that? Do you know that? Beyond a shadow of a doubt? I strive to imitate Christ in everything I do. Why? Because Christ glorified the Father in everything that He did. So I strive to emulate Christ in everything that I do. That's my highest goal. That's my greatest aim. Is the ambition is that I would live a life like Christ. And even if it means I suffer and sacrifice and die and no one knows my name, I want to live like Jesus. Amen. Is that true for you? Hey, that's a test of faith right there. If you'd say, sign me up for that. 
Can you say it? Number four, a compassionate heart. Compassionate heart. So we're going to drill down on this one for a minute. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. What did Jesus say about the law? He said the whole law, all of the commandments of the Old Testament could be summed up in one word. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then Jesus also said in John 13, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now John says, this is that commandment. It's an old commandment, but it's a new commandment at the same time. Verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. See, Jesus fulfilled those commandments. He loved the Lord God with all of his heart, and then he loved his neighbor as himself. He fulfilled that. And then he gives that command to a believer. And as a believer, if you have true and saving faith, you're going to exchange hatred for love. He says, it's true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's saying, you've got the light of Jesus inside of you already. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Have you ever, you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and it was really dark, and you stepped on a Lego, and you screamed like a little girl? That's what I do. A cause for stumbling. Hit the corner of the bed. I've done that one, man. You hit that corner of that. Man, we used to have this bed. It was a hand-me-down bed. I would have never bought this bed if I had gone to the furniture store. But since it was free, we got this double-sized bed. And on the corners of the bed, there's these oak posts. They're horns almost. They come up and then they poke out for whatever reason. I'm like, who designed that? That's a death trap in the middle of the night. I can't tell you how many times I almost went to the hospital on the corner of that bed. You know, you get up in the middle of the night, you can't see anyway, but then the light's out and you kill yourself on that. And I came in this morning and I told her I was going to use her as an illustration. Miss Pat was over here. I came down the hallway. It was dark in the hallway. And Miss Pat was at the TV, kind of fiddling with the back of the TV. And she had the, the little, what do you call it thing? USB thing. It was putting it in that TV so we could have announcements out here in the hallway. I don't even know if you noticed that, but they, the AV team does that kind of stuff every single week. But she was in there, and she was putting that in there, and she was kind of couldn't quite get it in the hole. And I said, why don't you turn the light on? She said, well, I didn't want to just waste electricity just for this. That's, that's, how, that's how she is. She's just so thoughtful. But hey, why is the light there? It, it's available every day for us. And it's so that we can see. And, and listen, here's the thing. Maybe you, maybe you do have someone who's hurt you as you come today. 
And you're truly a Christian. But here's what God is telling you right now. He's saying, forgive them. This is what He wants you to do. Because you cannot harbor hate in your heart and still truly understand and, and survey the wondrous cross where the Prince of Glory died. He laid down His life in love for us. And how can we hate someone whom Christ loves? You can't do it. It's incompatible. And that's what it means to come to the light. <laughs> to put, a, put away the darkness of hatred and bitterness and resentment. And let this clouding your eyes and causing you to stumble, put it away. But if you walk out of here after hearing that word, and you double down on the hate and the resentment and the unforgiveness, I question your salvation. How can you survey the wondrous cross where He forgave you of every sin, every debt, and still hate your brother or your sister? You can't. compassionate heart that says, hey, I'm, I'm not going to hate anybody. I'm going to love them all like Jesus. Can you do that? Can you love them like Jesus? Can you look at the dying and desperate world and love them like Jesus? I vowed whenever I was in the third grade to never say I hated a person ever again. Not in word or deed. Have I kept it perfectly? No. But maybe you should think about that. So I go out of my way. I love others the way Christ loves me. I go out of my way to show the love of Christ toward the people in my life. And here's the last test. A higher calling. And answering that higher calling. Saying, I know I've been called to serve. And we have to be careful with this one because they say, well, Aren't you talking about works now, Pastor Josh? No, I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about understanding that you live for a different master now. John says, don't love the things of the world. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Now listen to this part. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, now someone owns my life, not me. My life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. And the life I live in the body, in the flesh, I live. I live by faith in the Son of God. And so we know that God is called us for a purpose. We have what the world wants so desperately. We have hope and we have the knowledge of God. And there are people all around us out there hungry for spiritual things and they're filling that void with the things of the world, with, with entertainment, with relationships that are ungodly, with substances, with activities For you and me, the world should look less and less comfortable every day if we're growing in Christ. It should look less and less like home and more and more like a battlefield. Is that true for you? 
Are you on the way some, to somewhere else, somewhere better? I remember whenever I was a high school student getting ready to take that ACT, the one I said I hated and I had to take it five times so I could get into college. <laughs> I remember some of those students in high school, somehow or another, the answers to the ACT got leaked and they cheated on the ACT. Can I tell you something? Tests of faith are not a test. They, they're not tests that you can cheat on. You can't cheat on this. If you're fake, you will be found out. Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And He says, truly, truly, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Jesus said to His disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? You can't fake it. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'll, I'll ask you this question again. Do you know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong to Jesus? That you're a Christian? That you've confessed your sin and you've admitted your need for a Savior and you've called out to Him in faith and said, Jesus, save me, a sinner? Are you living for Him? Do you love Him? And maybe you've been in a pew for a long, long time. You've been a church member. You've been faithful to come to church. Maybe even to tithe, maybe even to serve. But listen, you've never gotten your heart right with Jesus. And if that's true of you, then today is the day to get that cleared up. Don't wait another moment. And this isn't about anyone else. This is about you and the Lord. Now it would be the benefit of those around you, your family and your friends and this church, for you to get that right. But it's not their decision. It's your decision. Don't rest on a baptism. Don't rest on the fact that your granny came to this church, your aunt, your uncle, your mama's faith. In your own heart, say, do I know Jesus as my Lord? Examine yourself and see if you're of the faith. If you have any doubt at all, pray this prayer with me and we're going to get this cleared up right here and right now. And this is just your prayer of faith. Asking the Lord to be your Savior. Say, dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross for my sin. And now you're alive. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Give me your spirit. Save me a sinner.
And Jesus, I believe that you've heard that prayer and that you have saved me. So thank you for my salvation. I'll live the rest of my life for you, loving you and serving you. In your name I pray. Amen. And would you stand with me? If you prayed that prayer, and you meant it with all your heart, you're getting it all cleared up right now. And you know, you know now that Jesus has saved you. As soon as we begin to sing, I want you to come down that aisle and I want you to come to me, take my hand and tell me that Jesus has saved you. And you know now. This is your opportunity to let it be known. To confess Jesus and say, He has saved me. And if you're looking for a church home, Myrtle Grove Baptist Church is a wonderful, wonderful place filled with many wonderful people who love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to welcome you into the family of faith. If you know Jesus, but you don't have a church home and the Lord's calling you here, you come. This is your invitation as well. And if you need just prayer, you, you say, I, I, I need to confess my sin. And you want somebody to do that with you. You just want someone to come beside you and pray about something you're facing, a struggle. We all have them. Our prayer counselors will be here and they'll pray for you. So you come as we sing together.